I think I'm alright. I can't tell a lie, it'd be better if my motorcycle wasn't in the shop, but you know. <laughs> All right, we're going to be in Jeremiah 10. So we're going to be <clears throat> still continuing the, the charges that uh, God's prophet Jeremiah is bringing against the nation of Judah. So he began about the first five chapters, six chapters, he focuses on what what is the extent of their iniquity what what's the issue and then from about chapter 6 on he starts to deal with the effects why why are you here okay so here's where you are you're in you're caught up in iniquity transgression sin you're denying god you're forsaking him you've turned your back on him why has that occurred that's occurred because of your trust in a false religious system so they were, they were walking through a bunch of ritual as though a relationship with God was just punching a card. Um, what's the things I got to do today? Well, I got to go make a, an offering. So I'm going to go buy a turtle dove and I'm going to take that turtle dove into the altar and, and then I'm going to offer that turtle dove. It's going to cover my sin. But on the way to offering your turtle dove, you're going to stop at the idol of Baal and you're going to give a prayer to him. And then maybe a little further, you're going to stop by the idol of Ashtoreth, which are all there within the temple area. The temple courts are filled with idols at this time. And uh, God's like, yeah, this doesn't work. Any more than it would work in any of our earthly relationships, right? Like, uh, say, you're a husband and you say to your wife, honey, I'm going to be a little late tonight. i got to stop by my girlfriend's house. How's that going to go? And on my way to the girlfriend, I might stop at my other girlfriend's house. But, uh, but then I'll be home. No, nobody likes that, right? Everybody's like, no, no, that's not okay. Well, that's exactly how God describes it, right? God describes our relationship with, to him just like uh, our, a marriage that we would have on earth. So the idea that God is looking for is faithfulness. So tonight, as he's talking about, well, what are the effects of this false religious system? What are these things causing for us? And tonight, what the, the topic of chapter 10 is this idea of what God are you talking to? If, think about this. If you had a regular deal where you reached out to, you know, four or five different gods every day, God's question to his people are, who are you talking to? Are you talking to me? Because it sounds like you're talking to them. What, what God are you speaking to? And so he begins this idea in Jeremiah 10 verse 1 with something we, we need to recognize and realize. And that is that we need a word from the Lord. De Jeremiah 10 1 says, Hear the word that the Lord speaks to you, O house of Israel. And I hear a lot of people today that might say to me, Jackie, God doesn't speak to me. Well, so there's, there's two parts to that. Okay, God does speak to you because in Hebrews chapter 1 verses 1 through 3 it says that everything God had to say to you he said when he gave his son for your sin. That he has told you everything that you need. 
It's all in the pages of Scripture. Go to the pages of Scripture. The Bible tells us that the Word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. It's ever able to discern between the thoughts and the intents of your heart. It's able to wiggle down inside the issues if you will allow the Word of God to have authority in your life. Um, but there is a sense, right, where Paul would tell us that the Word of God is what? It's spiritually discerned. The natural man can't understand the things of the Spirit. We have to be we have to be attuned to the Spirit of God. Now, God tells us, if you've put your trust, your faith in Christ, He's given you the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is within you. The ability to comprehend and understand is, is within you. The rest of it is just wanting to step out of our own laziness and wanting to understand. Uh, my issue with the Bible has never been the things I don't quite understand. My biggest issue has been with the things I do. Right? So if you're, if you're looking at something you go, I just don't understand this. Well, skip it and go to the next thing you do understand. Because there will be plenty, right? Where God's word is calling or directing us to something. So he's saying, hear the word of the Lord. Israel, you need to hear what God's saying to you. Because here you have a prophet. God never left his people without someone who would share the word. Someone who would tell them, what's God saying? What's God telling us? Well, the, that person would stand in front of the people very similarly to how we do church today. Only he'd do it out there on a corner. He'd, that, what, for Ezekiel, Ezekiel never came out of his house unless he had something to say from God. So he'd sit in his house. Maybe he's in his house for a week or two. And then he'd come walking out and all the word would go spread to all the people. Ezekiel's out of the house. Ezekiel's out of the house. Everybody gather around Ezekiel's house because he did some crazy stuff. And they'd pile up around his house. What's God got to say to us today? So God's never left the people without a faithful prophet to deliver to them what is it that God's saying. So here's what the Lord says in verse 2. Thus says the Lord, Learn not the way of the goyim learn not the way of the nations don't be focused on how everybody else does things right learn not the way of the nations nor be dismayed at the signs of the heavens because the nations are dismayed at them now we do a fair amount of this i think you know every time something weird happens in the heavens we're going to have four or five blood moons let's write a book Sell a book's great for the author. Um, let's sell a book on the prophetic significance of the blood moons or prophetic significance of the bright star in the heavens. God says, don't be like the other nations who are tripping over what's going on in the stars, right? Astrology is not new. Astrology has, especially in the ancient world, always been kind of tied, wrapped up with astronomy, the study of the stars. What are the stars telling us? Everybody wants to know the future, you want to fill the church? I can fill the church up next Wednesday telling everybody I'm going to do a prophecy update. I'll have everybody here to tell me what the future holds, what's going on. And then I can tell you all about Russia and Iran and Iraq and all that stuff that's, that's going to happen. And everybody will listen to it, but it, it's not sustaining. What's sustaining is, will you just hear what the word of the Lord is? What God, what God is saying just in the everyday not on the one day this will happen or one day that will happen. One day Jesus is going to come back. We'll all look in his face. Well, that's the one I'm looking for. 
Uh, I could care less who the Antichrist is or if I'll ever know who he is. Bible never tells me, figure out who the Antichrist is. It does tell me to learn how to follow Jesus Christ, though, right? Follow the one whose example we have been given. So he's saying, don't be dismayed. Now, several prophets, not just Jeremiah, not just Ezekiel, but the prophet Amos, came to the people and said, hey, you guys are worshiping the stars in the, in the heavens, and you're kind of getting your eyes off of the Lord. And this was an issue at the time of Amos. Amos 5 25, God says to the people, Did you bring me sacrifices and offerings during the 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You shall take up Sekuth, your king, and Kiyun, your star god, your images that you made for yourself. So Amos is saying, hey, here's what you... They've, it's always been a struggle. Now, here's the thing I want you to kind of wrap your mind around. When I say that they worship the stars in the heavens, I don't want us to think that it was some made-up deal. I have a hard time believing all that stuff is fake. I do believe all that stuff is deception. You understand? I do believe uh, an angel appeared to a little boy once and got his noodle all twisted up because fallen angels are able to do that. I do believe an angel appeared in a cave to a man named Muhammad and led him astray because that's not new. That stuff has been going on since the beginning of, of time. Deuteronomy 32.8 says that God divided the nations at the time that the nations were divided according to the sons of God. That's according to the angels. Angels had... Uh, geographical areas of influence we see it in the book of daniel right when we read the book of daniel it says daniel prayed to the lord and god said to uh to uh gabriel go go give him the answer so gabriel says immediately i was dispatched and what happened i ran into the is it the prince of persia i want to say it's the prince of persia um i ran into the prince of persia another spiritual entity and i fought with him for 21 days thus the 21 day fast daniel fasted for 21 days waiting for an answer from the lord when gabriel said when gabriel came he said i came right away but there was a spiritual battle that you can't see daniel that's really happening in the spiritual realms so when it says israel was worshiping these false gods these demons you know for me that's just fallen angels who have revealed themselves to men and people have worshiped them what is it that the scripture says the devil always wanted? He wanted worship, right? I, I will sit on the heights like the most high. I want to be worshipped like God. So you have this sense, right, in this development of a false religious system. Is that different than what it says in Revelation? And when we read Revelation, we talk about the coming of the Antichrist. And we talk about a day when Satan will inhabit him. What is it the Antichrist desires? What is it he's going to add? What, what's the abomination that makes desolation? What is it? It occurs when the Antichrist stands in the place where he ought not. Most people say that's in the Holy of Holies, in the temple that's not built yet. And he stands there and he declares himself to be God. He wants to be worshipped. That's going to be a real being, not a fake being. It's going to be a real thing that takes place, not a fake thing. These people were being deceived by things bigger than them. And God is providing to them the, <coughs> the prophets to provide for them the word. Don't be afraid of these things. You don't have to be afraid of them. 
What did Paul write? Did Paul say to us, every shiny guy who shows up, you should listen and do whatever he says. Is that what Paul said? He said to test the spirits, didn't he? To see what kind they are. Why would he say that? Why would he say to test the spirits? Because it's just some idea of testing your own thoughts? No. Why did he say, be careful, because Satan's going to appear like a shining one, you know, full of glorious light. Be careful, because the, the devil can show up just like a, a white, shiny, what, you wouldn't listen? Angel appeared to you today and said something crazy? That's why Paul says, hey, test the spirits. What do we have that we can test those spirits by? The word of God. Because the word of God doesn't change. It is true today, tomorrow, forever. Isaiah wrote about these in Isaiah 47, 13. He says, you are wearied with your many counsels. Let them stand forth and save you. What's he mean? You're wearied by your many counsels. You're going to all these other entities, all these other gods, little g. And you're asking them to save you, save you, save you. So Isaiah says, you're wearying yourself with all these counsels, going to all these other beings. Let them save you. If they're so powerful... We'll let them do it. Those who divide the heavens, who gaze at the stars, who at the new moons make known to you what shall happen. Behold, they are like stubble. The fire consumes them. They cannot deliver themselves from the power of the flame. What's happening to all those angels? Psalm 82 discusses the judgment of the angels. All the fallen angels who have stepped out in disobedience to God. What happens to them? Can they save themselves? No, the Bible says one day the fallen angels are going to be put into the lake of fire, which was created for who? The devil and what? His angels. So he says, can they save themselves from a fire? Can they save themselves from a judgment? No, they can't. They're, they're, that's, they're not what they might appear to be. Uh, such to you are those with whom you have labored, who have done business with you from your youth. They wander about each in his own direction. And there is no one to save you. Second Kings 21.5, Manasseh, King Manasseh, <clears throat> he's worshiping the stars. Look what it says. He built altars for all the hosts of heaven. Now, they're not, just so you know, they're not worshiping the sun and the moon. When the Bible says they worship the host of heaven, what's it talking about? They're worshiping fallen angels. They go by names like Baal, Ashtoreth. I don't know what all their names were. But that's who they're worshiping. The host of heaven. They look up into the heavens and tell the story of the, the fallen angels. Manasseh did it. Not only did Manasseh worship uh, the host of heaven. He also buried his own children in the foundation of his house when he built his palace. In 2 Kings 23.5, it's talking about Josiah. Remember? Josiah, right before Jeremiah, he leads the people in a revival. They start to tear down the altars. What altars was he tearing down? It says, he deposed the priests whom the kings of Judah had ordained to make offerings in the high places at the cities of Judah and around Jerusalem. Those who burned incense to Baal, to the sun, to the moon, to the constellations, and all the hosts of heaven. So I just want you to see that what was going on in Judah when God's saying, man, I'm going to send a Nebuchadnezzar to come and put you in exile. I'm kicking you out of the land. 
because you are an unfaithful people. No different than when a wife turns to a cheating husband and says, you can't stay here no more. We understand that, right? We should be able to understand that, that concept of, well, why would God do that? Well, God's doing that because his bride is an unfaithful bride. So he's saying, you got to go. Now, he over and over and over again lives out the book Hosea. Have you guys ever read Hosea? So in Hosea, God says to Hosea the prophet, go marry a prostitute. And Hosea's, that's probably not what he thought God had for him in his life. Maybe he had a different plan, but Hosea was a good servant of the Lord. He did what God asked him to do. He went and married a prostitute. She was unfaithful to him and left him. And then God said to Hosea, now go get her back. When everybody had thrown her out, nobody wants her. You can buy her for less than half the price of a slave gored by an ox. That's what he pays for her. That's not that much, right? He buys her back and he renews her relationship with him and he offers her security. And God says, this is what I do for Israel. She's not faithful, but I'll go get her. I'll redeem her. So God's not throwing her away, but God is showing his desire to be, it's you and me, just us. There needs to be a circle of faithfulness in this relationship. This is what God is calling to. In verse 3 of Jeremiah 10, he's going to talk now about the customs of the nations. He says, for the customs of the people are vanity. They're empty. They're useless. A tree from the forest is cut down, worked with an axe by the hands of a craftsman. They decorate it with silver and gold, fasten it with hammer and nails so that it cannot move. Their idols are like scarecrows in a cucumber's field, and they cannot speak. They have to be carried. They cannot walk. Do not be afraid of them, for they cannot do evil, neither is it in them to do good. Now, a lot of people come to Jeremiah 10, and they go, Oh, my gosh, there's a Christmas tree. So let me settle this for you. It says, Not a Christmas tree. This is a picture of man making an idol. He cuts down a tree. He covers that tree in gold. He may carve it into the object of a, that looks like a man. He may carve it into an object that looks like an animal. He will overlay it with silver and gold. He will nail it on the shelf in his house because if he doesn't nail it, it might fall over. This is what God's saying. This is how useless this idol is. He says they're, they're creating something. They chop down something. They kill a tree, drag it in their house, and pray that the idol will deliver them. Now, the way the people thought was not that that idol had power. What they thought was that idol is the gateway for me to talk to my God. Do you understand? So the gate, it was a gateway. It was like the telephone. I put the idol in my house. I carve it up. It's like creating a bat phone right so that i pray to that idol and it makes my prayers go to the ears of the deity wherever that deity is but god's point to the people is you ought to know that you cut it down that there's no power in that tree and that those those beings the true beings that are out there in the cosmos somewhere could care less that you're praying and they're not going to save they're 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 it's all a big joke. Why do you think 
the, the devil went to Adam. You think there, there was some special thing he's trying to impart? Some helpful thing he's trying to give him? What's he trying to do? He's trying to ruin the life of, if you would look at it this way, of his little brother. Because the angel is the older brother, right? That's the first creation. The Bible says that the angels of heaven clapped as God created the universe. So the angels were already created at that point. And they're clapping, they're enjoying this relationship with God, and then God makes earth, and then God makes man, and then God goes down there to hang out with man, and the angels are like, what? I don't know, maybe. But their, their, their goal, the goal in the fallen, those who fall, not all angels, right? Do we know all angels aren't fallen? Right? That when the Satan fell, the scripture tells us he, the, the red dragon whipped his tail and took how many? A third. So a third of the angels fell with Satan. So you have a third that are evil, two-thirds who are elect. Two-thirds who are righteous, a third that are evil. And of the evil ones, do they want to help man? Is that what you think? The demons want to help people? No. No. What does the Bible say? A demon comes to kill, lie, kill, and destroy. And that's what they do. So you have these people crying out, right? Praying through these idols to a, to a false religious system. And God's like, they can't save themselves. Why are you praying to them? Why are, you, why are you calling upon their name? Isaiah talks about it in Isaiah 44, beginning at verse 9. It says, All who fashion idols are nothing, and the things they delight in do not profit. Their witnesses neither see nor know that they may be put to shame. So he's saying, you're, the phone you're making to contact the other beings doesn't work. You know that angels are not omniscient. Do we know that? Angels don't know everything. Angels are not omnipresent. That means angels aren't ever present. Satan can't be here in Israel at the same time. Sorry to disappoint you. The devil can't be multiple places at once. And, and I don't know how, how high we are on his agenda. I don't know. He may just have minions here. I'm not saying there's not demon, demonic presence in the United States. I'm just not convinced it's the devil. It's Satan himself. He may have, how would you say it, bigger fish to fry than us. But they're not omnipresent. They're not always here. They can't hear your prayers. There's only one being who can do that. That's God. Why can God do it? God can do it because he is omnipresent. Jesus said, wherever you are, there I am in your midst. Right? He promised to give you the Holy Spirit, so the Holy Spirit will always be with you. If the Holy Spirit is always with you, can he hear you? How does God save any sinner? When a sinner calls out on the name of the Lord, how is it that God saves him? Because God is able to hear him. All men. All time. Now what, what I think is important for us to kind of wrap our minds around, think about this. God is able to see, hear, and in some way uh, relate to all the evil man does around the world every second of every day for eternity. 
So we ought not ask the question, why is God judging? We ought to ask the question, why isn't he? Which shows one of the attributes of God, which is he's long-suffering, patient, desiring that no one would perish, but that all would come to repentance. Repentance. God, the angels can't hear. He's saying through Isaiah, look, they can't hear you. You make your idol and you should know. I'm nailing this piece of wood to my mantle. It's not, there's no magic in the, in the wood. It's not carrying your message to these other gods. He says, behold, all his companions shall be put to shame. The craftsmen are only human. Let them all assemble and stand forth. They will be terrified and put to shame together. The ironsmith takes a cutting tool, works it over the coals, fashions it with hammers, works it with his strong arm. He becomes hungry, his strength fails, he drinks no water and becomes faint. The carpenter stretches a line, marks it out on a, with a pencil, shapes it with planes, marks it with a compass, shapes it into the figure of a man with the beauty of a man to dwell in a house. He cuts down cedars, he chooses a cypress or an oak. He lets it grow strong among the trees of the forest. He plants a cedar and the rain nourishes it. Then it becomes fuel for the man. He takes part of it and warms himself in his fire. (coughs) He makes a fire and bakes bread. He also makes a god and worships it. The Lord's like, how much sense does this make? How much sense does this make? Look, these things the Lord is saying. They have no divine origin. They cannot speak. They cannot move. They must be carried. And ultimately, he says, they can't do anything. Now, God's message to them is, the only one who can do what you're asking is the one you're being unfaithful to. The other guys don't care. Just like, hey, I'm going to stop by my girlfriend's house first. Nobody's okay with that. Nobody is all right with that, and neither is God. So in verse 6, he moves to talk about the incomparability of God. The incomparability of God. Now that there are no other spiritual beings, we know there are other spiritual beings. There's no other God, only one God. There's only one Yahweh. Amen? There's only one Yahweh. He says in verse 6, There is none like you, O Yahweh, O Lord. You are great, and your name is great in might. Who would not fear you, O King of the nations? For this is your due, for among all the wise ones of the nations, and in all their kingdoms, there is none like you. There is no one, no being like Yahweh. There is only one Yahweh. Right? There is only one. There's nothing we can compare him to. That's why we struggle in comprehending who God is and what God's like. God uses anthropomorphic language. Language because we can't speak Yahwehian, right? Does anybody here speak Yahweh? No. Do we think Yahweh speaks English, honestly? A being who's bigger than the whole universe who created all, he's not speaking English. And he, his language has more depth than ours ever will. So when he describes himself to us, utilizing our language, what is he limited by? Us. Not himself. So when he tells us about himself, he says, I, I created the universe with the span of my hand. God doesn't have a hand. The Bible says God the Father is spirit. God the Son has a hand. We know his hand by what? 
the nail pierced, right? The fact that it's, it's been pierced by, in fact, God the Son is the example of, of God crossing the, the chasm that separates us from him and being able to present himself to us, hopefully in a way that we can um, experience God through our five senses. Otherwise, God's unknowable. Jesus Christ makes him knowable. Jesus Christ becomes God that we can know, that we can experience. He's God we can touch. He's God we can hold. He's God whose eyes we'll look into. Because the Father doesn't have eyes. The Father is outside of that. He's spirit. He's not body. So when God is describing who he is, and there's only one Yahweh in all of the universe, is it amazing that he uses language that we find difficult to comprehend? Do you honestly think we should be able to absolutely and utterly understand the God of all the universe who created all things in English? Or do you think we'll have a hard time stumbling over our definitions as we work out how it is that God is one and three and three and one and we say there's nothing like that on earth yes hallelujah you're correct there isn't but there is something like that in the heavens god the father god the son god the spirit one united and when he uses his anthropomorphic speech right to describe himself he does it like this he says God is one like a man and woman and they get married and they become one. He's the same. That's the picture he paints. Because he can't find a better way to say it. Not that we'll understand. No. So he says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one. And then God says, this is what it's like between the father and the son. The two are one. So we get a little picture, right? A little, a little illustration that God draws out that we want to be able to hold on to. And so God, when God goes in through Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and the Old Testament prophets and, and the prophets cry out, God, there's no one like you. We need to hear that. There's no one like him. He is not like an egg. He is not like the sun. He is not like... You know, I don't know, whatever pictures we, we've all used them, right? Because we're trying to describe something that's <clears throat> indescribable. But the reality is, he's saying in the word, there's no one like you, God. There is no one in all the nations, anywhere on the face of the earth, anywhere in the universe. There is none like you. Verse 8, they are both stupid and foolish. <laughs> that's not good, right? They are both stupid and foolish. The instructions of idols is but wood. Beaten silver is brought from Tarshish, gold from Euphaz. They are work of the craftsmen, the hands of the goldsmith. Their clothing is violet and purple. They are all the work of skilled men, but they are not comparable to you. That's why God said, don't make a graven image. You don't need a bat phone to talk to me. You understand? He said, don't make any images for me, not of birds or beasts or men. Make no image of me. You want to talk to me? Talk to me. 
It's pretty incredible when you think about it. All the rest of the universe said, you can't just talk to a god. You have to build a special bat phone. you got to have some special craftsman make you an idol so you can talk to your god, your deity. You may have to appease that deity in order to talk to your God. Now initially when God called the nation, please understand when he called the nation, he told Israel, you're all going to be priests. We talked about this before, right? You're all going to be priests. And so God brought them to Mount Sinai and God spoke to the children of Israel the Ten Commandments. You remember? Read it. It's in Exodus. God spoke to the people, and the people freaked out. Stop speaking to us. I can't handle it. Let Moses go talk to you. So Moses goes up on top of the mountain for 40 days to be alone with God. In that 40 days, Moses is with God. The glory of God made him glow. You remember? Yeah, glowing Moses. Then God looks over at Moses. He goes, hey, they built an... They built a bat phone. They made a golden calf. Right? Because they don't know what happened to you. They made a golden calf. They've already messed up. They're not going to listen to me no matter what. We, maybe we should start over. Moses is like, oh, no. He goes down, throws the Ten Commandments. They break. And you remember, he stands before all the people who are dancing around the golden calf. And he says, hey, God wants to know who's on his side. So if you're on the Lord's side, stand with me. Do you remember what happened? One tribe named Levi stood by Moses. Who became the priesthood? One tribe, Levi. It wasn't because the opportunity wasn't there for all the people. But now because Levi, was was Levi perfect? Did the tribe of Levi ever mess up? (laughs) Oh my goodness, please. Right? You know the story of the scribes and the Pharisees, yes? So we understand that, that man is frail and, and weak. But God has made a way for man to talk to him. And the way is not through idols. The way is not through these other things. The way is through desiring a faithful relationship with God. And the priesthood was established because of the 12 tribes. One tribe said, we'll, we'll stand by the Lord. We'll do what God wants. So what does God want out of his priest? Someone who says, I'll do what God wants. That's why Peter says, we are a kingdom of priests because if you've given your life to jesus christ part of that is declaring to god i'll do what you want so it's as though god was saying to the nations who will stand with me and when we put our faith and trust in christ we're saying i will so when you do that you don't need a bat phone how do you talk to god just talk to him He is always listening. Fallen angels, they can't do that. In verse 10 it says, But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God, the everlasting King. At His wrath the earth quakes. Nations cannot endure His indignation. Thus shall you say to them, The gods, see the little g, right? The gods who did not make the heavens and the earth will perish from the earth and under the heavens. You're worshiping something less. Anytime we worship something that is not what God has declared himself to be. That's why sometimes people divide over 
heretical statements when they say Jesus isn't God. Look, all I know for certain when I talk about the triune Godhead is Jesus said, unless you believe that I am eternal God, you will die in your sins. That's a big deal. If you don't have that right, you're praying to something that is not the God as God has revealed himself, right? Well, Jackie, where did Jesus say that? John chapter 8. Jesus said, unless you believe, ego I me, that I am, you will die in your sins. What's ego I me? Exodus chapter 3, Moses said, when I go to the children of Israel and tell them, you, you have sent me, who should I say you are? And God said to them, you tell them, I am has sent you. I am that I am. The Gospel of John's built around seven I am statements, Jesus declaring what, who, and how God is. Because the Bible says in John chapter 1, that we've never beheld the Father. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God in the bosom of the Father, He declares God to us. That's not a confusing scripture to you? It's a little bit confusing, right? God describing who God is, but that's how God speaks about the relationship between father and son. Jesus Christ revealing he's the true and living God, the everlasting king. And when his wrath comes, the earth will quake. You ever read Revelation 6 through 19? That's the end, right? Revelation 6 through 19, the, what we would call the tribulation period, the, the judgment of God on the, on the nations. Yeah, it says all the stars of the heavens fall out of the heavens and strike the earth. That's a bad day. Anybody seen the movie Armageddon? That was one. <laughs> What's it like when all of them fall? <clears throat> Peter says the heavens will roll up like a scroll. What is that like? That doesn't seem good, right? That seems bad. Yeah. So he's saying this, this is the God who created it all who sustains it all according to Colossians, who holds it all together. It is he who made the earth by his power, <clears throat> who established the world by his wisdom, and by his understanding stretched out the heavens. This is who Yahweh is. This is who Yahweh is. When he utters his voice, there is the tumult of waters in the heavens. He makes the mist rise from the ends of the earth, the lightning for the rain. He brings forth the wind from its storehouses. See, they couldn't understand all the things of their world that go on. Now today, we have a greater understanding of how these things work. They didn't have that understanding, so they're describing their world. Look, we don't know where the wind comes from. We know where the wind comes from. We have bigger mysteries. Yeah? We still don't know what holds it all together. The craziest thing I ever heard in my life was I was listening to an interview by the people who made the fat man, how's it go? Fat man and little boy or fat boy, little man, I don't remember. The two atomic bombs. You guys remember they made two atomic bombs? You know, Hiroshima and Nagasaki, right? When they test fired those nuclear weapons, the scientists were not sure if the the atomic reaction they started would end. And they pushed the button anyway. Do you get that? Yeah, I'm going to push this button and we're going, to, we're going to cause a nuclear explosion, nuclear reaction. We're not really sure if it'll stop. Oh, go ahead, push it. Let's see what happens. 
Perfect. Genius move. The same man that can do that is the same man who can, who can take a deep breath and take a baby partially out of his mother's womb and kill it. It's not shocking. Man's been doing all these things for a long time. He's really good at it. Man, he, he wants to rebel. He wants to find his own. We have great mysteries. We don't understand today. Maybe they're different than the mysteries they had in their day, but the answer is still the same. Who holds it all together? We might find out one day the only reason the whole world didn't blow up is because God stopped it. Just like you know that God says to the sea, this far and no further. You know the scripture says that? God says, this far, no further. Sometimes he lets it come further, right? But he always says, this far, no further. Eventually it stops. It still answers to the sound of his voice. Verse 14, every man is stupid and without knowledge. How many men? Huh. That's kind of, don't make us feel too good about ourselves, does it? Every man is stupid and without knowledge. Every goldsmith is put to shame by his idol. For his images are false and there's no breath. They are worthless, a work of delusion. At the time of their punishment, they will perish. Not like these is he who is the portion of Jacob. God's not like these. God's not like man. God's not like man's uh, idols. For he is the one who formed all things. Everything was birthed in his hand. And Israel is the tribe of his inheritance. The Lord of hosts is his name. God chose Abram out of all the other nations who were in rebellion against God to say this is through Abram, I'm going to create a nation that's going to bless the whole world. Because through that nation is going to come who? Jesus. Mashiach Nagid, the Messiah, the Prince, the King. He's going to come. The Lord of hosts. You know what that means, Lord of hosts? The Lord of Sabaoth. He is the God of the angel armies. He's the Lord of the heavenly hosts. That's what he's saying. You're praying to the heavenly host. You're praying to the stars. You're praying to fallen angels. But God's like, yeah, I'm the God of all of them. I'm, I'm over them all. I made them all. He says, gather up your bundle from the ground, you who dwell under siege. For thus says the Lord, I am slinging out the inhabitants of the land at this time, and I will bring distress upon them that they may fill it. So God says, you're going to move. You can't stay in my house no more. you got to go out. <clears throat> I'm going to cast you out of the land. They're going to go out of the land for a generation, 70 years. He says um, um, in verse 19, a woe to me because of my hurt. This is now uh, Jeremiah. Jeremiah is known as a weeping prophet. He often begins to cry over God's decrees. Woe is me because of my heart. My wound is grievous. But I said, truly, this is an affliction and I must bear it. My tent is destroyed. My cords are broken. My children have gone from me and they are not. There is no one to spread my tent again or to set up my curtains He's crying, he's weeping over the people. For the shepherds are stupid and they won't inquire the Lord. Therefore they do not prosper and all their flocks are scattered. He's like, the people won't listen, I keep telling them. But they won't hear that God will forgive them if they will repent. But if you won't, you will stand before God forgiven 
or you will stand before God guilty. But you will all stand before God. I think it's funny, the world likes this phrase, that all roads lead to God. Well, yes, all roads lead to God. But not all the roads that lead to God are good. Right? The Bible says all the living and the dead is going to stand before the Lord one day. But that's not a good day. There's only one way that leads to life on the roads that lead to God. And that is through Jesus Christ, right? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. You got to come through Jesus Christ to stand before the Father. Verse 22, he says, he cries out a voice, a rumor, behold, it comes. A great commotion out of the north country to make the cities of Judah a desolation and a lair of jackals. That's a Hebraic idiom, a lair of jackals. Some Bibles, translations, just call it a lair of dragons. Um, How can it be a lair of jackals and a lair of dragons? Well, because it's a figure of speech that talks about nothing dwelling there but demons. Nothing dwelling there but evil spirits. That that's all that's left. Because all the people are going to be gone. They're all going to be enslaved to Babylon. No one is going to be left there. Verse 23. So he calls, I know, O Lord, that the way of man is not in himself. It's not natural. We will not naturally find our way. That's why God intervenes in history. The way of man is not in himself that it is not in man who walks to direct his steps we don't know what to do you're not gonna just find your way because you're a seeker you will find your way because you are willing to submit it's not in us to find our way it's not in us to direct our steps so what does he say he confesses first it's not within me then he says Correct me, O Lord. Fix me. But in justice, not in your anger, lest you bring me to nothing. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not looking for judgment day today, God. I'm looking for mercy. That's usually what we want, right? Nobody wants, I don't want what I deserve, please. I want mercy. Give me mercy. Correct me. Get me on the path I need to be on, right? Correct me. And pour out your wrath on the nations. Pour out your wrath on the wicked that don't know you. On the people that are not called by your name. For they have devoured Jacob. They have devoured him and consumed him and laid waste to his habitation. So at the end, Jeremiah is saying, a prayer of confession. The way is not within me. A plea for correction. God, fix me. Fix me from the inside out. And then he knows one day God is going to judge all the wicked. Now listen, please. We are the wicked. So apart from part one and two of that prayer, we land in part three. Do you get it? Either I confess and God corrects me, right? I repent and am forgiven and walk with God, or I'm under judgment to the wicked. There's no list of goods, deeds, and bad deeds. One outweighs the other and you get a pass. It's not how it works. Two categories of people. The forgiven and the wicked. The forgiven were formerly the wicked. 
but they have been what? Forgiven. They confessed. God, have mercy on me. I'm wicked. They asked for God to fix him. Lord, fix me by your spirit. That's how we stop being wicked. We don't stop being wicked because one day the light came on and we all decided to be good. Because if we had to watch a video of our lives, every thought you ever had, every lie you ever told, you definitely wouldn't want it on the screen behind me. And we're all guilty. And God, who hears everyone everywhere all the time, is aware of all the wickedness all the time on all the earth. And he will judge it, right? But he calls Israel just like he calls us. The only thing necessary for us to have that right relationship with him is to be honest. God, forgive me. I failed. I'm unfaithful. No question. I'm unfaithful. I have been unfaithful to the Lord. God, forgive me for my unfaithfulness. And don't just say that. Don't just say forgive me. But then what's the next part? Correct me. Fix me. Help me not be like that anymore. Amen? Fix me. Because I know one day you're going to judge the wicked. And I'd rather not be the wicked. I'd rather be the redeemed. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. <laughs> Father God, we thank you for this time. We can study your word, Lord, and we can understand maybe a little bit. Maybe we get a little bit of an idea of, of what that whole world of idolatry is all about and <clears throat> why the children of Israel kept going back to to building these things that would allow them to have at least what they believed allow them to have contact with these other spiritual beings and maybe those spiritual beings will help me because God's not doing what I want him to do isn't that how we are too I prayed for God to do this thing and he hasn't done it well, maybe that means God don't want it have we thought of that? God, may we choose the life of a doulos who says, I'm choosing the life of slavery to you, Lord, my master, that you may do with me as you will. And I will tell you, I will cry out to you for healing. I will call on your name for deliverance, but I will also trust you when the answer is no. And I won't build some special bat phone to reach some other spirit being to get a different answer I just want your way for though all roads will stand before God one day only one of those roads saves only one of those roads is the path of the redeemed only one of those roads is the path of forgiveness only one of those roads leads to life and Jesus said it was following him Follow me, for I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. So God, may we follow. May we choose to follow God the Son on His path as He leads us to Your presence where one day we will stand. Not as uh, <coughs> someone who was righteous in and of themselves, but rather as the redeemed. As a broken man who's been forgiven. As a broken woman who's been set free. As a broken...